I'm going to start uh, a series today about one of the one of the things I believe God's been talking to me about for hope is about um, discipleship and about strengthening people's walk with the Lord. And most Sundays, and I know some weeks it'll just be tough going, but most Sundays, the heart of where I'm going to go with people is to encourage you to take on the week that you've got ahead. But, but I really believe God wants us to take the next couple of weeks and just dig a little bit deeper and just go, what is it like to actually be a follower of Jesus? And, and what's that mean for me and for you? And, and how do we live that out? So that it's not, because um, I really believe that God, Jesus came to save us. He paid a price for us to be saved. He paid a price for us to become members of his family. But within all of that, there is a role for us to play. And we can just have one foot in and one foot out. And never fully realize the potential that's inside of us. Never fully enter into that destiny that God has. For each and every one of us. And, and I came across this quote. Would you just put up the next one for me, Tony? I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That is not from the Bible, but I believe it's a truth. And here's the thing. You have never met a human being who is mortal. Every single one of us is immortal. Every one of us. We will be around for eternity. But there is stuff that we do here will affect the life we will have with God after this. Not just the life we're having here on earth. The stuff we do now has eternal consequences. There's a great line from that movie, The Gladiator, where he says, what we do now echoes into eternity. And if I really believe that I am an unceasing spiritual being, that the spirit that lives inside of me right now is going to live forever, and that it has a destiny in God's great universe, which is much bigger than this planet that we're wandering around on, then what am I doing now that's sowing into that future? For good or for bad? And like I believed, I really 100% believe that that's the truth for me. What I want to know is, is that your belief? That this life is not all that it's about. That there is more than this. Because I really believe that's me and that's you. And if that's the truth, then how do we get there? We accept what God says. And in the book of Jeremiah, it tells us that God has plans for our lives. And they're plans not to harm us, they're plans to prosper us. The plans to give us a hope and to give us a future. But if we're going to have them plans come to pass, then somehow or other we have to define what kind of a relationship we're going to have with Jesus. We're going to have to come to a place where it's like, what is this relationship? Because there's two things the scripture calls Jesus all the way through. He calls him Savior and Lord. And they're two separate titles that we get. Savior, Jesus, I don't, I'm afraid of going to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. You came. You died on the cross. You made a way. Thank you very much. I'd accept that gift of salvation. Savior. But Jesus never just wanted to save people. He wanted to make disciples. And disciples were followers, but they were followers who learned how to walk in the way of the person they were following. 
Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Live your life out the way Jesus taught us to live our lives out. And that's the bit about being Lord, because that's the hard bit. That's the bit where we have to be nice to people when we want to stab them. That's the bit where we have to suck it up sometimes. That's the bit where we have to pay a price and pay a cost. That's the bit where we put money into something, where we put energy into something, where it's rather than sitting in front of the telly, I'm out helping on a soup run or something. That's the stuff. That's the hard stuff. The gift of salvation is easy. That's free. That's being a believer. But Jesus didn't look for believers. Jesus wanted followers. He wanted us to become followers. And he wanted us to to pay that price to be his follower so that we would have an amazing reward. It's not just to pay the price because he's sadistic and he wants us to be masochistic. It's to pay a price so that you win the race so you get the prize. There is something at the end of this for all of us. There is a cost benefit in it, but there is a cost. Following has a cost. I read this article. I was trying to um, find some stuff. Just go on up to the next one there for a second. Um, there's a website I check into now and again. It's called gotquestions.org. I've passed it on to some of you. It's a really good website. We wouldn't believe with everything and agree with everything they say, but they have a lot of scholars on it and a lot of people with doctorates and who spent years in college that I'm never going to do. So, But I put this um, question in, what did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me? So I'm very bad, I just want to read you what they said. That's just so you don't blame me for it. The answer, let's begin with what Jesus didn't mean. Many people interpret cross as some kind of a burden they must carry in their lives. A strained relationship, a thankless job, a physical illness. And with self-pitying pride, they say, that's my cross I have to carry. Such an interpretation is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. I'm just going to say something. I remember growing up around here and people go, that's my cross. I have to carry that. And sometimes it was a woman talking about her husband. But anyway, we move on. (laughs) He's my cross. Okay. And he probably was to some degree, but it wasn't the cross Jesus was talking about. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as a symbolic of a burden to carry. To a person in the fourth century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could imagine. 2,000 years later, Christians viewed the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but torturous death. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the places of crucifixion. Bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. This is called dying to self. It's a call to absolute surrender. And each time Jesus commanded cross bearing, he said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Although the call is tough, the reward is matchless. Wherever Jesus went, he drew crowds. Although these multitudes often followed him as Messiah, their view of who the Messiah really was and what he would do was distorted. 
They thought that Christ would usher in the restored kingdom. They believed he would set them free from the oppressive rule of the Roman occupiers. Even Christ's own inner circle of disciples thought the kingdom was coming soon. And when Jesus began teaching what he was doing, what, that he was going to die at the hands of the Jewish leaders and the Gentile overlords, his popularity sank. Many of the shocked followers rejected him. And truly they were not able to put to death their own ideas, their own plans and their own desires and exchange them for his. Following Jesus is easy when life runs smoothly. Our true commitment to him is revealed, revealed during trials. Jesus assured us that trials will come to his followers. Discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hid that cost. In Luke 5, 9, 57-62, three people seemed willing to follow Jesus. And when he questioned them further, their commitment was half-hearted at best. They failed to count the cost of following him. And none was willing to take up his cross and crucify it upon his own interests. He goes on to say he wondered how many people would respond to an altar call that went something like this. Come and follow Jesus and you may have to face the loss of friends or family, reputation, career and possibly even your life. We'd be all running up the front, wouldn't we? If you wonder if you are willing to take up your cross, consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job and if it means losing your life? In some places in the world, these consequences are reality. But notice how the questions are phrased. It says, are you willing? Following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean these things will happen to you. But the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to take up your cross? If there comes a point in your life where you are faced with a choice, Jesus or the comforts of life, which will you choose? Commitment to Christ means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions, even your very life if need be, for the cause of Christ. Only if you willingly take up your cross may you be called his disciple. The reward is worth the price. Jesus followed his call to death to self. Take up your cross and follow me with the gift of life in Christ. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life from me will find it. I was thinking, that's really encouraging stuff, isn't it? It's just to make you feel good, okay? Here's the thing, I was looking for an example of this in the scriptures, and I was thinking about, there's a guy called Nicodemus who turns up in, in John 3, in the Gospel of John, and he turns up three different times in that Gospel. And in the first one, it's a fairly famous part of the story because it's where we get the whole thing where Jesus says you have to be born again from, in John 3. But Nicodemus turns up at night time. And it says it in, in chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if, it were not, if God were not with him. He believed. We know you came from God. You come from God. So he believed. He believed who Jesus was. But he didn't risk it by going to him in the daytime when everyone else could see him. 
He went at night time. And I was thinking he was kind of like he was an undercover Christian. Do you know them? I was one of them for a long time. I was like, when I was with all the Christians, I was like, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And when I was with everybody else, I was like, oh, I don't know about that stuff. The secret believers. But you know, somehow, somewhere, sometime, we end up having to make a decision. That we're either in or we're out. Because somewhere along that line, Jesus is going to mess with your life. Because he's going to want you to make that decision. Cause he, and he's going to want you to decide for him. Because he knows that's the best decision. But everything that's in us, that's human, is going to want us to decide against it and go for the comfort. I promise you, it will. And Nicodemus had to go through that. And I don't know how, because it doesn't record how he did. But somewhere along the way, he must have. Because when we get back up with Nicodemus in John chapter 7, the Pharisees, who are the ruling people, they're the, they're the in crowd. You want to be in with the in crowd, these are the in crowd. And they're at the send and some of their temple guards to go and check out Jesus and drag him in here. And the guards come back saying, that guy is amazing. You know, what you're giving out about, but he's absolutely amazing. And then they're having a hissy fit at the guards. And then Nicodemus says this, in John, it says, verse 52 to 50 to 52. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, so he was one of the in crowd, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Are you one of them? Are you some kind of a dope that believes what this guy is saying? Are you some kind of Egypt? You're now one of them Christians, are you? The happy, clappy, hallelujah crowd, are you serious? I thought you had sense. I was in, um, I used to drive a, a van doing deliveries for, for um, a plumbing company, well, a plumbing supplies company. And there was a man in St. Mark's when we were going to church. We weren't there all that long. His name was Larry Murray, and he was a plumber. And, uh, and we got to know him fairly well in St. Mark's. And one day, I was in a place called Davies in Fairview. I was probably in church about a year. I'd say I'd given me life to the Lord. I was figuring out how to do this walk. But I had been very careful about where I'd been shouting about Jesus. Let's put it that way. And anyway, nobody where I worked, except the lads in the, in, the, in the factory did, but in the delivery places I went into, it just didn't come up in conversation. You didn't go in going, hey, look, man, I'm after joining the church. Do you know, that wasn't the part of the conversations we had. But I'm standing at the counter waiting to get a docket signed, and Larry sees me. And he comes over and gives me a big hug, which was really weird, standing in a plumbing counter. Two men hugging, because then you start looking, people looking at you going, what's going on there? And then the guy who was waiting to sign the docket, Larry calls him over and they're having a bit of banter and he says, now I hope you're being nice to him. He's my Christian brother. And I thought, please, Jesus, let the ground open up and swallow me. <laughs> I cannot believe he just said that out loud. And your man's going, are you in with him? Are you one of them? And I'm going, I everything I want to go, no, 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 no. And I kind of had to go, yeah, give me docket, boy, and ran. And I was cringing at the thought of having to go back into that place and face him. And that was my job. I had to go back in and face him. 
and he gave me grief for quite a while. Can't believe you're in there with that madman. Bloody, bloody, black. Because Larry was a madman, then got saved and became this, like, where they were calling him a holy Joe and all the rest of it. But my cover was blown. I couldn't pretend in that place anymore. And I had to make decisions. And some of them decisions were made for me because Larry made that decision for me. I didn't go into Davies that day going, I'm going to tell them all I'm a Christian. That got made for me. But there was loads of other little decisions I had to make along the way. And all of them decisions then came to the place where I made a commitment. And you see, what I didn't want is, I didn't want to get tired with the brush, with the same brush as the, as the happy, clappy, mad people. But I did want to get tired with the same brush as Jesus. And I do want to get tired with that brush. I do want people to go, yeah, he's one of them Jesus people. I want that. But I can't have that without also getting identified with the people who follow Jesus. Because the scriptures tell us that the world will know us by our love for each other. What do I say? What do I do? Little decisions every day. It's what moves us from being a follower or being a believer to being a follower and being willing to pay the price and being willing to take the hits. And there will be hits. But they won't all be hits, but there will be hits. And somewhere along the way, in between even there and the next time we see Nicodemus, which is in John 19, he makes a commitment. Because when we see him next time in John 19, Jesus is dead. He has died on the cross. And it says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen according to the Jewish burial customs. And I was thinking there was a few bits in this for Nicodemus and for Joseph. One of them was a costume. Because if they were, were Jesus' disciples in secret, they weren't going to be able to get his body and bury it without someone finding out. They just weren't. It wasn't going to be possible. The place wasn't that big. Excuse me. The word was going to get out. They were the two who went to the Romans and got the body. So there was a risk of the exposure. But there was something about Jesus dying that brought them to a place where they were willing to take that risk. The scripture doesn't tell us how, it just tells us that it happened. But you have to kind of put yourself in that place and go, what was it that moved them from being someone who was a secret disciple to being willing to go, you know what? I'm going to be identified with him and I'm going to help take his body down. Whether it was the death of Jesus that did it. But you know what? When I look at it and I think, if he was willing to die for me, what's taking a bit of a risk of someone slagging me off? It cost him money. 75 pounds is four and a half stone. I would love to lose that much in my slimming words, okay? But that's a lot of stuff to be carrying. And it was expensive stuff. 
It cost them effort and sweat and dirt and blood. They could not take a body and wrap it without getting dirty. They couldn't take a body and wrap it without getting bloody. They had to get messed up doing this job. So something about following Jesus costs us. They went against the flow because everyone else was gone home. He was dead. Everyone else was gone home to get ready for the Passover, which was the biggest party they were going to have that year. As a nation, it was like celebrating Christmas Day. It was the biggest party they were going to have. And these two guys were taking themselves out of the party because they had to be clean, ceremonially clean to take part in Passover. And touching a dead body was the end of that happening. They couldn't. So they cost themselves the party. They cost themselves being with family and friends because they were unclean. They cost them money. It cost them time. It cost them effort. It cost them blood, sweat, and tears. And I was thinking, what has it cost us since we made that decision or I made that decision to follow Jesus? And I was thinking, it has cost us friends. There was people we hung around with, went to the pub every week with, and that was our life. And when we became Christian and God started changing our lives, they didn't want to be with us anymore. I never actually stopped wanting to be with them. But some of them didn't want to be with us because we didn't want to do the same thing we always did. We wanted a different life. Do you know what? For every friend I ever lost, God gave me 10 or 20 more. I have never given up anything that God hasn't given us more back in this life. And he promises in the next that he'll give us even more again. It's cost us time. It cost me television programs. Isn't that awful? I'm deprived. I don't get to see Coronation Street and all that wonderful things anymore. Our Saturday night used to be comprised of running home so we wouldn't miss Dallas. How sad a life is that? Okay, that was like a lost interest in all that stuff. Um, it cost money because we started tithing. We started putting money into church. We started putting money where we said our heart was. So it cost money. It cost reputation because I had to get honest in a lot of different things. It cost effort because we made a commitment to serve. We made a commitment. I say we because it cost us effort because we made them commitments. I made them commitments and I made them commitments to serve other people. That costs. It costs the comfort of just being able to go home at night and just sit and watch telly and do nothing. It's worth every bit of it. Every single bit of it. Myself and a guy called Shea Field and had a bonfire in their back garden one night and I burnt, I would say, a couple of grand's worth of first edition books and albums. I had a love for music that you wouldn't believe. And my albums were my prized possession. And no one in the church said to me, go and burn all your albums. There was none of that stuff. But I really felt from God, and I don't regret it. Ever. I have never regretted doing it. Because they were my God. And that's fairly radical. And I'm not suggesting that anyone here go home and have a bonfire. It's probably illegal now. We'd probably get arrested if we did it. Because we're polluting the earth. But there is stuff in our life that has a hold of our life. And Jesus wants us to be radical. He wants us to go, do you want that or do you want me? Because lots of times we can have both. 
But there are some things that we can't. There are some things where it's like, you've got to make that choice. Are you in or are you out? There is a cost-benefit. I was going to finish with this. I'm going to finish by playing a song. But I want to say something. I am a follower. I am. I don't, I don't have to think about that. I know I am a follower. The question I have is for you to go home and ask yourself that question. Are you a believer or are you a follower? And my prayer is that you are on a journey to being a follower. Because the rewards of being a follower far outweigh the rewards of being a believer. Far outweigh them. But there is a cost. I'm not going to pretend there isn't. It's not always the easiest. Usually when sermons like this get preached in church, we lose half the congregation. But the reality of it is it's worth it. All I can tell you is it's worth every bit of anything we have ever given up. Anything. Any price we've ever paid to save Jesus was worth every bit of it. Because we've got so much more back. So much more. There was a song, um, I think it was Cathy put her up on the WhatsApp this week. Spirit Lead Me. And, uh, and I was listening to it. I've listened to it a few times. And they're lovely songs because it's like, oh, Spirit Lead Me. You know that when we sing Oceans? You know, Spirit Lead Me, Where My Trust Is Without Borders and all that. They're all lovely songs that you actually have to try and do it. Singing words is one thing. Living them out is another one. Having faith in a place where you're scared witless isn't easy. Making a decision to stand up for something that's right, like Angela Mayo was talking about earlier on, isn't always easy. It's still right. But it doesn't always make you popular. It doesn't always make you um, the person who everyone wants to be with. Following God does not always bring us popularity. Following God does not always bring us the easy life, but it brings us the best life. She said in that little video that doing the right thing will give you security that no bodyguards can ever give you. Watch that. It's on YouTube. Listen to what she says again. It's phenomenal. This song is a few minutes long. I want to leave this place open for prayer. I want to leave. If you want to, at this stage, do some kind of a recommitment to God of your life, of where you're at, where you want to go, you don't have to come up the front. You can just sit where you are. And do that. This song is seven minutes long, and we're going to sit for the seven minutes, if that's okay. The words of it are very short, but very powerful, if we actually take them on. But he says phrases like this. He says, I withhold nothing. He says, show me how to trust even when I can't see. Show me how even in suffering that I can still believe. In the chorus, he says, if you say wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release something, then I will let it go. If you say jump, then I'm going to dive in. And if you say be still, then I'm going to wait. And this is the phrase I loved. He said, I'm done chasing feelings. Feelings. Spirit lead me. If you want prayer, John and Mary will be up here to pray with you. We'll just sit in the top row. If you want to just sit and have this time between you and God, then have this time between you and God. Then I'll go up and I'll do a really quick prayer just to dismiss us. Um, God's heart is for you. He has the best for you. 
He has the best. Don't sell yourself short. And not let the world keep you short. Give everything you have into following him. And I promise you, the rewards are eternal. You may not see them right now, but I promise you they are there. Because God is faithful. I pray that you would lead us. That you would lead each and every one of us, Lord, into a place where we would know that we are following you. Lord, I know there are places where you want to lead people that are going to seem scary. I know there are places even right now that we could face this week that will seem scary and difficult and hard. And we will have that choice whether to step in to what will tar us with the brush of you or not to step into that place. And Lord, I want to pray that you would give us courage. I want to pray that you would give us strength. I want to pray that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would encourage us to live for you each and every day. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask people to close their eyes for a minute. You know what, I'm going to, I'm going to say, look at, you know what, if you, if you can't make a decision, or if you're struggling even to make a decision for God out there, start by making a decision for God in here. Be brave enough right now to put your hand in the air and go, yeah, I want more of you, God. I want to move into that place with you. I want to move into that place. I want to to step into what you've called me to be. I want to become a follower and not just a believer. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you, put your hand up in the air for a second. Just say, yeah, this is what I want. Amen. 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 Great. And put your hands down. God, you've seen the hands. You've seen the hearts too. And I want to pray for everyone in this room. That they will have a week of fellowship with you. That your spirit would just lead them and guide them. That that song would be the reality of our lives. That we would know exactly how to step into that place. And Lord, I pray if we do come across scary situations that you will give us the courage. You'll give us the strength to pray whatever um, problems people are facing, whatever challenges they may have in life right this minute, wherever them challenges may be, health, finances, relationships, whatever, I pray your hand on them and I pray you would heal them and provide for them and resource them. And I ask you, Lord, to bless all your people. And may his face shine upon you and grant you peace. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.